It is, uh, it is really good to, uh, to be with you this morning. Um, if you do not know me, my name is George Rebstead. I'm one of our um, elders here at Living Hope. And uh, usually about once or twice a year, I have the opportunity to, uh, to bring a message to us. Um, and I am just uh, humbled at that, at that opportunity this morning. Um, just so you know, I, I did carry a really big Bible up here this morning. I was already teased by both of our pastors about that that I really had to bring the word, I just reminded them it's because I need it that big to see the text. So um, bear with my really big Bible this morning. But um, this morning what I wanted to do as we continue in this series of making disciples was I wanted to just take an opportunity to, to set the stage before we get into the chapter that we're going to be in. Um, so if you want to take an opportunity to turn your Bibles now to Mark 9, um, please do that. Uh, but I'm going to take an opportunity just to paint a picture for you real quickly of where we are. So my brother Matt last week preached from chapter 8 of Mark. And there's a few, we're right smack now in the middle of the book of Mark. And there's a few significant things that happened, really significant things that happened in that eighth chapter. And what I want to do is I want to just remind you of those because I want you to see the mindset that the disciples were in as we head into chapter 9, okay? So, so first and foremost, we know that um, in, in Mark 8, that, that just prior, um, Peter confesses who Jesus Christ is, right? He's talking with the disciples, and he says, you know, uh, who, who is it that people say that I am? And they say, oh, some say that you're uh, John the Baptist or Elijah, one of the prophets. And then he says, who do you say that I, who do you say that I am? And, he said, and, he, and Peter confesses that he is the Christ, and as we know, Christ tells him to tell no one because it's that, not that time yet to do that. So that's just happened. So now he's telling them, he's confessing who it is, but he's also sort of masking it like, hey, I don't want you to tell anybody just that yet. And then he does something he really did for the first time in a very plain way. He tells the disciples of his death and his resurrection, right? He tells them um, that he is going to be, uh, that he's going to suffer many things, be rejected, killed, and on the third day rise from the dead right? And what does Peter do? Peter rebukes Jesus to where Jesus has to turn and say, get behind me, Satan. He tells him that what he's speaking of are things of man and not of God. And then, and then we have Jesus presenting to the crowd a call, really, to discipleship. Again, kind of this, just a lot going on right here, right? In this call to discipleship, he tells the disciples in this crowd that they have to deny themselves, but they have to take up their cross and they have to follow him. I mean, they have to lay down their whole life, but there would be a rich reward, which would be eternal life. And just think about for a moment, you've, you've heard about that probably if you're a Christian today, you've heard about all those things so many times, but all of this really was taking place for these disciples in what was really a short period of time, right? And he concludes this chapter 8 by, by also giving them a warning, right? He says to them that, look, if you don't know me, I'm not going to know you. A real warning that comes with his role in the final judgment, right? Are we going to know who Christ truly is? And so that is all that is on the mind as we then read the first verse of chapter 9. I'm going to read that for you now. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. 
Well, I don't know if it was confusing enough at this point what was going on for everybody, but I think this was even more confusing, right? What on earth is he talking about that some of them standing there are going to see the kingdom in power? See, to these folks who knew what the teachings were of old, they thought he was talking about something way at the end of times, and surely none of them were going to live long enough to see that. How on earth would they ever see that? How on earth would they ever see that? I want you to hold that place right there. I want you to just remember the mindset of the disciples, right? The resurrection, the call to discipleship, the talk of the resurrection, the call to discipleship, this warning, and then this, and then this promise that some of them are going to see the kingdom of heaven in all its power. I want you to just hold that thought right there of what their mindset would have been like. And I want you to shift for a minute, and I want you to think about an unforgettable experience that you've had. All right. I want you to take a moment and I want you to think of something that you have seen or been a part of that when you look back, it is just burned. It is just etched into your memory. Right? For me, those experiences often, when I think about the really good ones, involve things that I've seen in nature and in the world. I can, I can clearly remember one of these things. So when I was 16 years old, my brother lived all the way on the West Coast in Washington State. And uh, he wanted the boat that we had, that we had trailered and used in lakes all the way up in New Hampshire, where, where I was living at the time. And so we decided we were going to trailer this boat and drive it all the way across the country to him. And then we were going to drive back. It was a great trip. Just my mom, my dad, and I. Um, lots of adventure along the way. But especially on the way back, we wanted to make sure that we saw some amazing things that were all along that way. And one of those was Yellowstone Park, Right. Just an incredible, incredible example of God's creation. And so I, what I, what I clo so clearly remember that's just kind of etched in my memory is that we were going out, we had gone around the entire park, and we were going out the northeast entrance, and we were getting ready to head off back into Montana and start our trek back. And as we came around this corner, there had been a storm that was crossing over. It hadn't actually rained, but it was just, the sky was black as night, Right? And as we came around this corner, it was late summer, and there was this field, and the grass had already turned brown. So I'm looking to the east, and there's this black sky, and I've got this sun behind me from the west because it's late in the day. I've got this grass that has turned golden, and there's a river off in the distance. And over the top of it is the most brilliant rainbow that you've ever seen. I've seen a rainbow only a few times in my life to where I felt like I could literally see every clear bar in that, way, in that rainbow. I remember that it was windy. I remember that the grass was kind of blown over. It was gold from the sun, right? Just etched into my memory, right? The things that were just so amazing about that. I hope that that helped you to think about something that you've seen that's been truly amazing. Because this morning's text, as we move on now into the next verses 2 through 13, has something truly amazing. Perhaps one of the greatest events outside of the resurrection that, that takes place in the Bible. I'm going to pause and pray, and then I'm going to read to you from Mark. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Father, I just ask for your guidance this morning. I ask that my words would be your truth, that I would speak from your text in a clear way. And Father, I pray that from this text we would see how you are calling us to be your disciples how you made disciples, and how you are calling us to help make disciples. 
Help us to see you revealed for all that you are. In your son's name I pray, amen. So let's read now from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept that matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. I don't believe I had you hold your thoughts after we read verse 1 of chapter 9. And I don't believe there's any great mystery to what those verses are pointing towards. I believe the promise that Jesus makes there that some of them are going to see the kingdom of God in all its power is referring to what we just read. And that's the event of the transfiguration. Really an amazing event that took place. So we have, we have Jesus taking Peter and James and John, his inner circle, right? Those that he was closest to, up this tall mountain. And in other accounts of the, of the gospel, we, we are, we're told that they go to pray, right? It's no mistake that they're going up a high mountain. For those of you that have spent time studying God's word, high mountains are places that significant things have happened throughout the Bible. So it's no mistake that that's going to happen there. But what we're told is that he is transfigured before them. Now, when I was trying to describe to you that scene that I saw in Yellowstone Park that day, I was pointing to what I can remember, how it affected every one of my senses, right? So I want you to think as you look at this story, how this would have been etched into the minds of, of, the, of these three disciples, how they would have recalled what they have seen there, right? What does he say? He says that his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Matthew 17 tells us, that his face shone like the sun. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm not the, uh, I'm not the like, neatest eater in the world. My, uh, my, my wife and my mother and my mother-in-law will tell you that I have a real good, I do a real good job of getting some stains on my clothes. All right? And I'm thankful for them because without them, I probably would have thrown a whole lot of clothes away these days, right? Over all these days. So, 
But, but what I want you to realize is that I love this line that it says, as no one could bleach those clothes clean. This was a different kind of white that Jesus was, right? This was a heavenly light. We know that throughout the Bible, God has shown his light, and, and he, in this moment, there is something radiating from Jesus that they had never seen before. All they had seen to this point was an ordinary man who was able to do miracles, who did amazing things, who taught them amazing things, but we know they were still confused, right? And now they're seeing this radiance of who Jesus is. They're getting a full glimpse of his glory. The word transfigure that we have there is where we get our word metamorphosis, sorry, metamorphosis from, okay? And so what we know in that moment is that what changed really was Jesus' form. As I said, to this point, he had appeared fairly ordinary as a man, the way that he was. But behind that veil of flesh, there was something greater, so much greater, that was now being revealed. I find it really interesting that the next thing that happens there is that we're going to, to see a visitation from a couple of the prophets of the Old Testament, the great ones. And so I want to I take a moment, I want to help you to think about that sort of uh, against this, what we're seeing of Jesus, against uh, what happened to one of those prophets, to Moses. So in Exodus 33, we know that Jesus has, uh, uh, excuse me, Moses has led the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, and he is um, following God's plan and trying to lead them along, but he pleads to God and he says, God, he says, you know, I can't do this without you. I need you to go with me. And so in that, God promises him that he will be with him, and he's just so thankful and he just wants to see the glory of God, right? But God says, well, I'll show you my glory, but you can't see my face for nobody can see my face in all its glory and live. So what does he do, right? He tucks him in a rock and he says, I'll cover you with my hand. And he says, and, after I, and I'll, I'll pass by, and after I pass by, I'll remove so you can see the back of me, right, to see how glorious I am. And so he, so he does that. And then what happens, right? Then we know that he calls Moses up to Mount Sinai to deliver the law to him. It's where he gives him the Ten Commandments. And we're told in those verses that the Lord passed before him. He has a message for the people that they need to follow him, and these are the laws that they need to, to, to follow. And when Moses comes down off of that mountain, we're told an amazing thing in Scripture. We're told that his face is glowing, like it is bright red. Now, I'm not talking about when you just went to the beach two weeks ago and you didn't put the sunscreen on, okay? I'm talking about a, a glowing from his face like you could not imagine or describe. In fact, we're told it made people fearful, right? We're told that it really made them fearful. And so he tells people the message that God has given them, and it's so that way that he puts a veil over his face, right? So, so afterwards, so that people don't have to continue to look on this because it was... And so when he would talk to God or he would go into the Holy of Holies, it tells us he would pull up the veil, and then he would put it back down. Moses, in that moment had been exposed to the light, to the glory of God. And it had impacted his face in such a way that it was clear to everybody. But what I want you to see the contrast of here 
is that Moses was reflecting the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. We are told in these verses that the very light, that is, is, it is radiating from him, right? He is the source of it. God is revealing his glory. He is not merely just a reflection of that light. An amazing difference to really be thinking about as we think about what is it that we're seeing here in this transfiguration. So now we see Moses and Elijah speaking to one another and speaking with Jesus, right? So they're having a conversation. We don't really know how the disciples knew that this was Moses and Elijah, but they did, right? And so, and so they see them speaking with them, and, and these are two of the most, you know, I've already talked about the incredible role that Moses played, but these are two of the most amazing, uh, influential people in the Old Testament, in Jewish history. And Moses, like I said, he led the Israelites out of Egypt in slavery to the promised land, um, and God gave the, the law to his people through him. Elijah, the most, you know, probably famous prophet in Israel's history, he didn't die, but he was the one that, that, that left up in a chariot, into a fiery chariot into heaven, right? I mean, I've just, I, I just stopped for a second. Think about what I'm telling you that we saw here. We didn't just see a reflection of light. We saw the glory of God in Christ. He was radiating it. And now two of the greatest prophets that have ever lived are standing there with Jesus. Can you imagine being the three disciples at this time? Having that revealed to you. But you got to love Peter, don't you? you got to love Peter in this moment. Because Peter sees this, and what does he say? He says, it's good, Rabbi, that we are here with you. He says, it's good. He said, so let's, let's, let me build three tents, right? So that, so that one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Sometimes there are moments in life that we need to be silent, and sometimes there are moments that we need to speak. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure you can tell, you could ask my wife and my kids, that uh, there's probably been far too many times, maybe in the last 24 hours, that I probably shouldn't have said something, right? But, but Peter is terrified, it tells us. And so what does he do like, like so many of us do? He, he leans on himself. And he thinks to himself, well, this is a great scene, right? We've got a terrible thing going on down on the mountain, down from the mountain. Jesus has just told us something's going to happen to him. He's going to die. He's asked us to give things up and follow him. And we've had all this going on. And, and, and then, you know, now we're up here with them. If, maybe if I build these three tents, maybe if we just stay here a little longer, this will be good. Right? This is a great place to be. We don't have to think about you know, what, what's down that mountain. What I think you know, is that what, what Peter's not seeing, and we so often don't see when we lean on our own understanding, is that he's really not seeing Jesus for who he is. In fact, he's seeing Jesus, Moses, and Elijah still on the same plane, right? He's not looking to see anything different between them. He's simply looking to see, that, to, to stay in that moment with all of them and try to understand this. So, we think this story is special, right? 
We've got all this going on. We think this story is really special. This happens. But it gets better. It gets better. You think about that sound in those amazing moments that you've had, right? Maybe that's an emotion that you, or a a feeling that you can remember, or a sense you can remember is is rather what I mean to say. This next one kind of gives me goosebumps, if you really think about it. As so often happens, there's this cloud that appears, right, in the scriptures as we see. And the voice of God speaks from that cloud, and he says this, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hear those words. Listen to him. So many of those times when I choose to speak before I choose to listen, right? That's what it's about. I don't want to really listen to what somebody's saying. I want to, I want to speak first and put my own thought first on what's happening in that place. God is clearly saying here, listen to my son. He's also laying out that really to deny who he is, to not listen to his son is to not listen to him. Jesus is being revealed in an incredibly, incredibly powerful way here. He's clearly greater than the other prophets that he's there with. God has just declared him his son. All that other stuff that went on which should have blown their minds, which they should have been able to see very clearly, which they should have just been completely changed by, forget all that. God just told them. He just told them this is my son. To be a disciple of Christ is to know him and to listen to him. There's so much going on around us all the time, isn't there? There's so much going on inside us. There's so much noise. There's so much distraction in this world. So much so that when God is often trying to speak to us, we don't hear him. So how do we get around that? You know, when God speaks here, it's as though he's speaking to all of humanity, I think. He's saying, look, just stop. Just be silent for a moment. See my son who I love. He is my glory. Listen to him and you will be saved. It's as if that's what God's very words are when he says that. For us today, how are we responding to when Christ has revealed himself to us? Now, we weren't on that mountain, and the likelihood that any of us are going to see something like what I just described in this life is probably not very good. But there are ways that God is revealing himself to us every single day. It's in his creation, it's in his word, it's through the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Right? And here we see his son. We know what Jesus has a plan to do. I love him. Listen to him. As I, read, as I once read, when you see and hear Jesus' true identity, you will know your true destiny. If you know Christ, are you on a journey to know him more as a disciple? Are you listening to him? Are you drawing close to him? 
Once we are saved, should we, we should yearn for a clearer vision of who He is that comes by listening to His words, by listening to His words, right? We should delight that the Father has, what the Father has in His Son, Jesus, that is the Messiah, the Savior. We should put our trust in Him. These disciples were on a journey with Christ. Today we have His Word to feed on. We have His Spirit, as I've said. When we feel overwhelmed or confused, when we know our faith is not what it should be, find a place to be silent with God. Listen to His Word. Listen to Him speak and reveal Himself to you, which can only be done by drawing close to Him. He's drawing you close. Go to Him. Because what we see next really is just a further explanation sort of of what goes on in our lives. We can have some of the most amazing moments with Jesus, right? We can have those mountaintop moments. Raise your hand if you've ever been on a retreat or uh, to a Bible camp or somewhere else and you come home and you are on cloud nine, right? You're just like, man, this is the greatest thing I've ever been to. This is, this is awesome. God's on fire. And how many of you have found yourself way down here pretty quickly? right? We're on this roller coaster because we're still human, because we're still sinful, because we need God, right? And so when we are in those moments, we often just turn to ourselves, right? We just turn to our own knowledge. We just turn to what we know. And that's exactly what happens here, right? So Jesus tells them that they're not to tell anybody again, what, just, what they just saw, right? He tells them, don't tell anybody what you, just, what you just witnessed until after I've risen from the dead. What an amazing thing to, to, to think that Jesus is still trying to show them truth, but he wants to see his Father's plan fulfilled, and so he's not completely revealing himself. So what do they do? They immediately jump back to what they know, and they start asking questions about Elijah, and they start wanting to know, like, you know, I thought Elijah came first and, and, and all this, and, and Christ again tells them that the Son of Man is going to suffer. And he reminds them of something he said before, that, that Elijah came, but in the form of John the Baptist, right? So that, that had already been filled. So they were leaning back on their own knowledge of what they had learned. And so often when we, when we are, have even been on those mountaintop places, and then we find ourselves in those low places, we've just lost sight again of what Christ is trying to show us. We need to remain focused on Him and close to Him. And we know that as quickly as that event happened, it was over. And they were just with Jesus and no one else was there, right? That's, that's what we're told before, before he, they, they start to head down the mountain. And they're confused still and they're, and they're trying to figure it out. They don't really understand what's going on. You know, what, what's, what's really going to happen to them? Well, at the end of this, I'm going to show you that this wasn't something they forgot. I'm going to show you that that, that, some, that wasn't something that they, they forgot. But for just a few minutes, what I do want to do is I want to move on, and I want to move on to what happens the very next time, now, in the next story. Now, remember what I said, that the idea that Peter, Peter did not really want to come down that mountain, because what did he know was at the bottom of the mountain, Right? He knew that at the bottom of that mountain was the reality of the world and what, what Christ had been preaching about and what was going to happen. And so they come down the mountain. And let me read to you now what happens when they come down the mountain in verses 14 through 29. 
And when they had come and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, he immediately convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd had come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house of his disciples, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I wanted to spend a significant amount of time painting that picture for you of the transfiguration because I wanted you to see how Jesus was revealed and to think about how it is that Jesus has revealed himself to you and how he's doing that and what that means, that call to believe in him. But in our last few minutes here, what I want to do is I want to take and I want to look at three areas from this scripture that are really telling and that really tell us more about what it means to believe. So what we have is he comes down the mountain, he's, he sees them arguing, he wants, Jesus wants to know what they're arguing about, and a man says he's brought his son who's been possessed by this demon, and he describes this terrible thing that his son goes through, and how does Jesus answer him in verse 19? Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. In this way, Jesus is echoing the prophets there of the Old Testament. He's looking at all mankind in the scribes and the disciples and everyone that who was there with him, and he's recognizing still their lack of faith, still their lack of belief in who he is. How often is that us, that even when he's done great things in our lives, we still find ourselves wondering if he's who we should put our trust and our faith in? And so then what happens next? So he says to bring the boy to me. The boy comes to him. There's this moment with the father where the, as soon as the spirit sees Jesus, the spirit causes the boy to convulse and do everything that he would do. And he asks how long he's been like this. And the man answers from childhood, right? And he says, often it's tried to destroy my son, cast him into fire, cast him into water, do all these things, right? And then what does he say? He says, if you can, right? Do it, help us if you can, is basically what he says to Jesus. Have compassion on us and help us. 
How often is also this us? Do you think when that man made that journey to go find Christ with his son, that he did not expect Jesus to be able to heal him? He did, right? Why would he have gone? His son had been in this terrible place. He needed to be redeemed. He needed to be healed. He needed to be uh, done from this. He gets there. Jesus isn't there, but his disciples are. And Jesus has empowered his disciples to work on his behalf, right? But they're unable to cast out this demon. So now Jesus is standing before him. How could this man not stand there and think, can this actually happen? Again, mindset of where he is, right? Mindset of where he is. And so Jesus says to him, (laughs) he says, if I can, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. What's really important here is what comes next. Immediately after, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That is an incredible heart for God. See, in that moment when his son, think about that father, his son has been tormented. All this has been going on for so long. This has been incredible the way that his son has been tortured and he was looking for healing. As a father, he just cries out and he says, if there's anything that you can do. And then Jesus reminds him of who he is. And the man gives one of the greatest responses that we ever can as believers. He says, help my unbelief. And Jesus responds by healing that boy, by casting out that demon and raising him up. And then we have this moment where the, where the disciples want to know why they couldn't cast him out, right? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, this one can only be cast out by prayer. What seemingly is an odd response to what they're saying actually fits right in with everything that we've talked about. Jesus is revealing himself. He's calling us to see him. He's calling the disciples to see him. He's telling them what's going to happen. He's giving them examples. He's revealing himself in great ways. He's healing. He's doing all these things. This is, again, a moment when Jesus is saying, you need to be in close fellowship with me. You need to know me. You need to draw close to me. How do we draw close to God? We draw close to God through his word, through prayer, through a, a life that walks side by side with him, allowing him to, to change us and transform us and make us into his image, right? What I want you to understand today is that to be a disciple of Christ, you have to believe. Through his word, through those working around you. If you're here today, it's because you've heard probably someone proclaim that Jesus is who he is. If Jesus is calling you to have that revealed, please listen to him. Continue down that path of investigation. Continue to understand who he is. Continue to draw close to him and become his disciple. And if you are his disciple, there are those moments when things are not going to make sense. They're going to be confusing. We're going to see great things from God. We're going to be on high mountains. We're going to be in low places. God is going to take us on these journey. We're going to have things we we need to be healed from. There's going to be times when we just need him in an amazing way. And what we need to do is turn to him and say, help my unbelief. Just help my unbelief. Help me to know you better. We've been on this journey talking about how we need to make disciples. 
and I know we're going, I know it's getting late, so bear with me just a second. We've been on this journey. My brother Chris has done a great job of, of leading us through this podcast this summer and learning about how do we tell other people about Jesus? How do we, how do we, you know, really get out there? And what is it that's holding us back? Chris has a great heart to, pre- to prepare us for how we talk to people about Jesus. And so much of it is just about what Jesus just did here, right? About meeting people in their need and where they are. About picking them up on the side of the road when they're intoxicated and don't know where they're going, right? It's about meeting people where they are. But, but, what would it mean for us to make disciples if we truly believed? What would that mean to make disciples if we truly believe? You ever find yourself talking to somebody about Jesus, about what he has done? You're telling them everything about your life and everything that you can, everything Jesus has done for it. And then you kind of stop yourself and go, how come I'm not telling everybody this? This is the most amazing thing that could ever happen. How come I'm not telling everybody this? I would challenge you, where is your unbelief? Look to Jesus and say, Jesus, help my unbelief. Help me to be able to speak your truth in a mighty way. You see, Jesus asked them not to tell what had happened, right? On the Mount of Transfiguration. But as we know after that, there would be this incredible journey that they would go on where Jesus would be crucified, as he said. He would lay in the tomb for three days. He would rise from the dead. They would see him again, right? And I told you earlier that I was going to show you that they didn't forget this. If you want to take just a second to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, turn there with me. We're going to be in verse 16, and I'm going to show you that Peter didn't forget that event. But in our journey with Christ, as we go through life, as as he takes us and he molds us and he makes us more like him, he fits all the pieces together. And that's what the disciples had seen. They had seen everything happen as he he had told them. And here in 2 Peter Chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when, we received, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this with uh, this very voice born from heaven, for we, would, we were with him on the holy mountain. Folks, when we believe the revelation that Christ has given us of who he is, when we draw close to him, we desire to be his disciple, and we go to tell others, we can tell them of what we've seen and what we've done in our life, what he's done in our life. That's what Peter's doing here. He didn't forget. He's recounting after watching all that God has done. The call is to believe. I'm going to invite the worship team up this morning as we we look to close. And I just want to again say, maybe there's times you don't understand. Maybe there's times you're distracted or on that high mountain. Maybe there's times that you're down in the lows or, or whatever it might be. Maybe there's a place Jesus needs to meet you with a need. Wherever that place is, whatever's happening, there is a call to believe because you have to believe to be a disciple and to make disciples. And you have to call on him, the author of that, to give you the strength to believe more and more in greater faith all the time. Let's close in prayer.
Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your word can paint such vivid pictures for us. Father, we thank you that your son is revealed in those scriptures in a way that when we read them today, maybe we have a little bit different ability to see how it all comes together a little more quickly. But Father, when we walk through our own lives, when we go through the things that we go through every single day and every single week, Father, we don't always understand how that all weaves together. And so often the troubles and the, tr- and, the, and the things we get ourselves into and the pain we're facing and so many things that are going on, Father, we just don't know. We start to doubt. We don't know, Father, if we're going to find our way out of this. Father, as, as, as men and women who desire to know you, help our unbelief. Help us to see you, to look into your face, to know the radiant glory that was revealed through you. Help us to know, Father, your desire for us for all of eternity, but but your desire to walk with us each and every day. Father, you are good. We thank you for this time in your word this morning. We thank you for this call to believe and to have faith as we never have before. Amen. Amen.